Hey, it's Chris, and welcome to the very first ever episode of the After Party, the Daily Tech After Party. This is just a weekly show where we're gonna talk about Apple and tech and maybe some channel-related stuff. I'm gonna give you guys a chance for Q&A every week um, and answer some of your questions. Um, it's just gonna be like a hangout, a weekly time where we can shoot the breeze and talk about our favorite tech stuff. So you could put this on on YouTube here in the background while you're working, or we're also turning it into a podcast. So if you wanna listen to this in the car, uh, or while you're washing dishes or mowing the lawn or whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can do that too. And we're also creating a clips channel. So all the best, most interesting segments uh, are gonna live over there in case you don't have the attention span or time to go through this whole uh, full episode, you can go over there. The links for all the different ways that you can interact with and subscribe to this content is gonna be down in the description. But thank you for supporting Daily Tech. Thank you for being here. If you're here, that means that you heard about it from one of our announcements and you're here supporting the channel, checking out this new content, which I'm so excited about. I hear from you guys all the time. You want more content, longer content. You need that daily dose of Chris enthusiasm or whatever it is. So thank you for being here. And let's just dive right in to our first topic, which is something you guys ask me about every now and then. It just keeps coming up over the years and I don't always have a chance to talk about it on the main channel. So this is the perfect opportunity and that is how do you get, can you get Apple stuff for cheaper, for less? Well, the obvious answer is yeah, you can, but there's sort of a caveat. Let me set this up. Apple stuff is expensive. You know, it's like premium, it's good quality. And the main way to get it cheaper is over time. Like when it's brand new, good luck getting it for any less than the MSRP. But as that product ages, maybe it's gonna go on sale somewhere. And that's where you can uh, snag it for a bit less. Uh, or if somebody has used it and therefore time has passed and they're ready to sell it, then maybe you'll get it for cheaper. So the only real way I think to get stuff for cheaper from Apple is to wait a little bit. But there are a few strategies that you can use to snag some good deals on Apple stuff. And that's what we're gonna talk about right now. The first route that you can take, and this is one that I've never done, but I would like to. I could definitely see myself doing this. Probably if I wasn't a tech reviewer and needed like the latest stuff to talk about. If I was just a regular person and not doing YouTube videos or podcasts, I would absolutely do this. I always think like this is such a good idea and that is to buy refurbished. So what is a refurb, in case you don't know? Uh, it's basically somebody had a defective product or some sort of return or something, came back to Apple and they fixed it and they're ready to sell it at a slight discount. Now, it's only a slight discount because really it's just like new. It's just as good, I'm looking at Apple's website here and you get guaranteed Apple quality is the way that they put it. So that's what you want, right? You don't want a piece of junk, uh, even though it has some issue. You want that to be fully functional, something you can get super excited about. And for all intents and purposes, it basically is when you get it from Apple. And you also get a one-year warranty. So that's pretty awesome. And on top of that, you can get Apple Care for your Apple refurb, right? So you can get all kinds of stuff here. You can get a Mac, an iPad, an iPhone, an Apple Watch, an iPod, HomePod, Apple TV, there's even a clearance section. But here's the catch. 
They don't have all this stuff all the time. And when they do have something in one of these categories, it's usually not brand new. And it kind of comes in batches and then they sell those out and then you gotta wait for something else. So for instance, here's a refurbished iPhone 10, 64 gigs, space gray, unlocked for $769. Now that's 130 bucks off. So if you're gonna buy this uh, and you wanna save some money and you don't want a used phone, something that somebody's already kind of used up and scratched up, then hey, that's not bad. And that looks like about the top thing on the featured page in terms of how much you can save on an iPhone, about 130 bucks. If I scroll down the page a little bit, I'm seeing that you can get a refurbished 13.3 inch MacBook Pro, an i5 in space gray, that's normally $1,699 for $1,339. So what does that mean? That's $360 off. Again, like new, basically new, with the warranty, and you can get Apple Care for it. That's pretty cool. So maybe to take advantage of this, you gotta kinda have something in mind. Like you have to know you want an iPad and maybe a specific model. But even then, like how do you know that it's available as a refurb? Well, you don't really, unless you're in there checking this all the time, which is not feasible. You're not gonna do that. But what's really cool, are you ready for this tip? There is a site, it's called Refurb Tracker. It's been around since 2007, actually, it looks like. And what it does is set you up with email alerts, or you could do an RSS feed, but really who does that anymore, to let you know when that product that you're so interested in as a refurb is actually available. So this is doable. You can save some money here. You can know what you want ahead of time, stick it in refurb tracker and grab it from Apple, get that warranty, get that Apple care. So that's one route that you can take. That's a legitimate way to save some money uh, and get a brand new Apple device. Let's talk about another one, and that is just to find an actual deal or sale, which is actually a lot harder than I think it sounds, right? It's like, I'm gonna buy a new Apple Watch. I'm just gonna go find a deal. Well, you can't always. There's not always a deal available. But if there is a deal, there's two ways that I would use to find it. And the first one is Mac Rumors. Mac Rumors has a deal tracker, and several sites that do like Apple coverage actually do. They have their own deal trackers, but I've found that Mac, uh, Mac Rumors has the best. They have my favorite because it's not just listing stuff. They actually have some features that they built to really help you in your search for a deal. What I really love about Mac Rumors and what they have going on is that they have these price charts. And so they have all the Apple products listed. It's kind of like a table of contents. You click on one, let's say, uh, iMac and you're taken to uh, a very nice listing with some photos of what is available and I can see right now there's one for 350 off and it tells me that it's the lowest it's ever been now that's a good way to find a deal there's another 21 and a half inch iMac for instance right now that's 450 off and is the lowest that it's ever been so it'll show you things like flash sales and it breaks it down by the size or, or type of device and its configuration. It's just really, really very useful. So long and the short of it is, if there's like a weekly deal, this is probably your number one stop to check for whatever it is that you're looking for when it comes to Apple deals. But it's definitely not the only game in town. So the other place that I would check, if I was you looking for an Apple deal right now, 
would be Slick Deals, which of course is a forum-driven site where people can post deals and then vote those deals up or the deals surface based on how much interest it's getting from people in the forums until it hits the home page. Um, and so I have to give a shout out to my brother-in-law for putting me onto this a couple of years ago. But here's what I would do. If you are looking for a deal and maybe you've already checked the Mac Rumors deal page, come over to slickdeals.net and I'll link all this stuff down in the description for you. But hit Slick Deals and just search for Apple or um, iPad or whatever it is that you're looking for and see what's over there. All right, like I'm on there right now. I just typed in Apple and up came a bunch of stuff. Um, you can get a nylon watch band for your Apple Watch for $15 at Target. You can get, and this is a good deal here, uh, Apple AirPods headphones, the new ones with wireless charging case. So you don't have to put on some uh, third-party cheap plastic silicon case to get wireless charging. Just get the official thing for 170 bucks. That's not bad. Where's that from? That's from Amazon. There's a similar deal at uh, Costco as well. So this is an excellent place. Uh, between these two, if you're gonna find an Apple deal that exists right now when you're looking to buy an Apple product, this is where you're gonna find it. Let's talk about another route that you could take though if you wanna save some money, and that is the trade-in. And for me, it's kind of like an infamous trade-in is how I would put it. You can trade in through Apple, and there's a bunch of different websites. Uh, maybe I'll list some of those in the description too. But uh, you can get like $400 up to that for your iPhone. You can get up to $1,400 for your Mac, for your computer. That's not nothing, right? That's something. Um, and so if you're gonna buy a new product, then you can subtract what Apple's gonna give you for your old product from the price. Now, the reason this is awesome if you're in the Apple ecosystem is because Apple stuff tends to hold its value very well. So if you buy an iPhone instead of an Android device, that iPhone's gonna be worth more um, down the line when it's time to trade in or sell or upgrade than the Android counterpart. Now, I tried this. I tried the official Apple trade-in program sometime in the last like year and a half, I think. And I sent in like three Apple Watches that I had laying around from the channel um, that I wanted to use to upgrade to one of the latest Apple Watch models to cover here on the channel. And what happened? Well, two of them did actually end up getting traded in and I got gift cards for those, um, which I could then go to the Apple Store and use. Uh, but the third one, it got sent back to me. And I forget exactly what the issue was. I wasn't real happy with this overall process. There was nothing wrong with any of the Apple Watches. Um, but you have to create an account with this other company. It's like a third party. It's not actually through Apple. It's the official Apple-sanctioned way to trade in your stuff. But it wasn't actually Apple running the show. So I created this account. And then once my devices got in there, I had to like log in and certify, check some boxes, that everything was how it's supposed to be. And apparently I did that for the first two, but I didn't do it on the third one, apparently. And I don't remember ever getting like a notification or anything, it's just <laughs> one day it was denied and, and it arrived back, shipped back to me. Um, and I was like, I'm not gonna mess with it. I'm not gonna resend it back in. It's been enough of a pain already. So there was that, and then on top of that, they wouldn't uh, take my ceramic Apple Watch. Um, I think it's Series 3, I had a ceramic, which was one of the more expensive ones. Really loved the look, but it was huge. It was a lot thicker compared to the new one. So I was gonna trade it in, but they wouldn't take it. Uh, it just, they weren't gonna take it. So I went through a few different questions, 
Is it in good shape? What's the configuration? And then at the end, it says it's ready to recycle. We'll just recycle it for you. Well, I can recycle it. I don't need you to recycle it. I guess I can't technically do it exactly how Apple's gonna do it in an environmentally friendly way, but come on, that, that was upsetting. It's like you pay extra for that and you get nothing back. Let's see, do I have another story about, I do, I do. I have one more story about trying to trade in. My latest computer, if you've been following the saga, it had my MacBook Pro uh, for 2016, a swollen battery. It was rocking around on the table. And so I was like, well, I'll see if I can trade it in. Cause I saw the banner when I was on uh, Apple's website. It's like, you can trade this in, get up to 1400. I was like, yeah, let me check that out. And so same thing, because it wasn't in perfect shape, they weren't even gonna take it. Um, it was ready for recycling. Also frustrating, but I guess kind of understandable Although not really, because did I make the battery swell? No, but here's what happened. It actually had a good ending. I took it into the Apple store and they fixed it really fast for free, even though it was from 2016 and it would have cost like seven or $800 um, if they hadn't done that for free, but it was still within the special warranty period for that particular battery, um, even though apparently it was pretty rare, I was told. So anyways, it ended okay. Now I could probably trade it in and get some decent money, so. Yes, Apple Store support, the Genius Bar. I actually have had a lot of good experiences there. I know other people haven't. That's a whole nother segment that we should do on this show. All right, let's move on a little bit. And here's something that you could do. You're not gonna wanna hear this, but we're gonna talk about it. You need to hear it, it's an option. And that is, you could just keep what you have. <laughs> now, maybe if it's broken, obviously, or there's some certain issue, you gotta get rid of it, fine. But what if nothing's really wrong with it? Um, what if you could just keep using this one? My wife does this. She's like the opposite of me when it comes to technology. I always want the latest, the greatest, the best thing, even if I've only had something for like a little bit, and that's actually probably not good. That's kind of a little unhealthy probably, but I can't help it. I'm tech obsessed. But she, on the other hand, will keep an iPhone forever until it's like way out of date. Um, but she loves doing that because she likes to save money and uh, she figures why not? Plus she's like sticking it to the man in terms of uh, you want me to upgrade, but I'm not going to. Is anybody else like that? So anyways, you could do that. And you know what? It's like they say, penny saved, penny earned. Uh, maybe that's the right thing to do. And maybe you can do like a combination. Hold on to what you got, but have something in mind, but check the deal sites that I mentioned. Maybe check out the refurbs. And when the thing comes in or up for sale that you want, um, that's a good strategy for saving a little bit of money. All right, let's talk about something else. And this one is a big revelation, I think, for a lot of people. And that is leasing, but business leasing in particular. Because a lot of people do lease their phone, right? Through their carrier or from Apple. And instead of paying all up front, you kind of pay by the month. And that's more affordable instead of paying all at once, even though you pay more over the long term. But I didn't know this until recently, okay? This was a big revelation to me. Apple has an amazing small business program. So if you have a business, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're doing like startup stuff, or if you just have some employees and you need some stuff for them to work on to get their work done, check out Apple's small business team and program. What you do is call the nearest Apple store and ask to talk to the business team, the business manager, and they will hook you up with all the information that you need about this. So under this small business program, you can lease everything in the store. I think there's a, a minimum value of like four grand that you need to hit. Um, so if you need a new computer, but you can't afford it like outright, and I'm not giving you this advice, I'm not saying spend money that you don't have. 
but check into this. If you can't afford like a $3,900 MacBook Pro, I actually got a quote for this, you can get one, and that's a good MacBook Pro, for $115 a month for 36 months. Hey, that's not too bad. Maybe you got a few team members, need some new gear. Uh, wow, they can have some and do their work on new stuff. Um, and there's some really great, there's like a $1 buyback program. And when the program's over, um, once it's been one month or one year, two years, three years, uh, you can choose to buy that at fair market value um, to get out of that lease. It's kind of like a car, like when you're done, do you want to keep it? Um, there's some really cool ways that you can keep that gear or transition into something else at the end of the lease, also kind of like a car. So if you need a maxed out iMac that you could never afford outright, you can get that now. It's accessible through this business program. Now, when you tell somebody like me about that, that's like dangerous. Cause I'm like, wow, look at all the stuff that I could get and review here on the channel um, for the, this small business program. But don't go crazy. Uh, use common sense, obviously, but that is a really good way to get some of the Apple gear that you need to get your work done um, that maybe you haven't considered before. So anyways, there's a few strategies for you to help you save some money in one way or another. I think these are really the best, most legitimate ways to do it that I've come across. And let me know down in the comments if you actually ended up saving and using any of these. I would love to hear that feedback. All right, let's move on to our next topic. And that is something that I'm asked all the time during certain parts of the year. And that is, should I install the Apple beta? Now, really, you guys know that you probably shouldn't, but we're gonna talk about this, whether you should or shouldn't. But let's start with what's the point of a beta? And I know you already know, probably, <laughs> which makes this a very funny question, but the beta exists so that the app developers who are making the awesome apps that you use all the time can get their app working on the next version of an operating system, whether it's iOS, iPadOS, the watch, uh, your Mac, whatever. You rely on these apps and you need them to work right for you and have no issues. And so the beta period is a test period where developers, I, I hear from developers all the time, they don't even like having to develop in the bugs, the environment that exists in the betas because it's such a pain, but that's the time where they get their stuff working for you, for the next uh, actual public release so that it's solid. It's like John Gruber said the other day on Daring Fireball, something like uh, betas wouldn't exist if bugs didn't exist, I'm paraphrasing. And that's exactly right. And the bugs are very real, let me tell you about it. So right now, for instance, I have the Catalina beta on my Mac. Right now, I don't know exactly what version it is, and I've got some problems. Uh, number one, my touch bar is gone. And only when it's gone do you realize how much you actually use it and need it. It's funny because I could have almost been in that conversation about, well, the touch bar, how much value does it add? Do I really need it? Well, hey, when it's gone, yeah, I need it. I want it back very badly. But then there's Photoshop. And Photoshop, I can do all kinds of tweaks and edits to a file that I'm working on, maybe a thumbnail for a video. Let's take that as an example. And then, guess what? That works fine, it faked me out. But when it comes to saving it as whatever, a JPEG or certain, oh, it's saved for web. When it comes to saving that for the web, that interface doesn't work. 
at all. And there's nothing I can do about it. It's just not gonna work for me. That's like a major problem. And the thing about the betas is that you probably don't realize if you're asking this question, should I install the betas? You don't know what's gonna go wrong until it goes wrong. And sometimes it will fake you out and you'll think, oh, this is great. Nothing's wrong. I'm testing out all the new features and it's awesome. And then some crucial thing that's part of your workflow isn't gonna work at the most crucial time. And then what do you do? I'll talk about that in just a second because <laughs> that has happened to me. On the iPad beta for iPad OS, uh, my slide over, the new feature that lets you load up a bunch of different smaller size apps on the screen and see them all at once, they kind of fan out, that wouldn't get off the screen, right? It was just stuck there. And that's actually really annoying. <laughs> and so there was only, I had to do this long workaround to finally get off the screen and get back onto the screen that I actually wanted to use. Oh, here's another one, my iPhone battery case. I've got an iPhone XS Max with the official Apple battery case on it. And it says that it's charging. It's giving me the charging icon, but it's not actually charging. So I'm basically carrying around all this extra bulk and weight because I do want a case on there. We're gonna talk about cases in just a minute on this show, and it's gonna be a very interesting conversation. But I don't wanna go caseless right now. It's just extra added weight. It's a dead weight on my iPhone because the beta has made it look like it's charging, but it doesn't actually charge. And so I'll actually end up with a fully charged uh, battery pack, but my phone will die, even though it says it's charging. That's the kind of stuff. The bugs are real and they're really a pain. And honestly, they don't outweigh uh, actually seeing and testing out the new features. The betas aren't for you. They're for the app developers. So have you ever heard of Ulysses? They make a writing app, it's very popular. Uh, on iOS, and I think it's on the Mac too. I've used it, I've liked it. Um, it's got a monthly subscription, so that's why I decided against it ultimately. But um, very well liked app. The developers obviously know what they're doing, what they're talking about, and they wrote a blog post, um, and it's titled, in short, don't install iOS 13, iPadOS, or macOS Catalina. He's talking about the betas, he or she, whoever this is, Max. He's talking about the betas, why? He says, we've been asked a couple of times if we couldn't offer a beta version of Ulysses that works fine on the new OSs. And this is bolded here. He says, unfortunately, for the time being, we can't. Not really a surprise though. He goes on to say, these betas are extraordinarily unstable and buggy. They're buggy and they're crash prone and they do lose data. Do you wanna lose data? That's the question you wanna ask yourself. So at the bottom of the article, I'm gonna skip a bunch of stuff. He says, so for the moment, we strongly advise against installing the public betas of iOS 13, iPadOS, and macOS Catalina, right? Don't take my word for it. You can take the word of the Ulysses team. Now here comes the caveat. If you are a rabid tech fan, and you can't wait. You're reading about the betas and new features and people are putting out all these videos enticing you to install the betas and you just can't take it anymore and you have to install the beta no matter what's gonna happen, no matter what the consequences are, then there are some options, okay? Number one, you can install the macOS uh, beta on an external drive. That's one interesting option. Number two, and this is really the only other safe, good option, is if you have an older device, something that's not your main device, like maybe you kept an old iPhone um, that still is capable of running beta, install it on the old device. There's no reason to install it on the new device. I know you want to, but don't. 
because it's just not a good idea. But install it on some extra device laying around. Now, just let me give it to you straight. If I wasn't a tech reviewer and didn't have to deal with uh, covering these betas and all the cool new stuff, would I install the betas, knowing what I do know <laughs> as a tech reviewer? Here's the answer. I absolutely wouldn't. And the reason is I want things to work. I need things to work. And it's actually a big pain when I'm using uh, betas on stuff and it's not working. In fact, here's something that happened to me. I told you I would tell you this story. I installed Catalina, and this is a couple of uh, versions ago for the uh, beta. And something went, oh, no, no, it worked fine. It worked great. But when it was time to revert, um, I couldn't actually get my backups from Mojave to reload and reinstall. And so even though I was being as cautious as humanly possible, um, I didn't take the advice that I'm giving you now and install it on a different machine. I installed it on my work Mac. It bricked it, basically. Turned it into a brick, couldn't use it. And then I had to make a Genius Store appointment. And the Genius Store for me is like 45 minutes or 50 minutes away, or the Apple Store, the Genius Bar. So it's not like close. And they didn't have any appointments for like three days. And so I was really out a lot of time to just go in and have them reinstall a fresh copy of Mojave on my work Mac. So is it a good idea? Honestly, I know it's not what you wanna hear, but it's not. And you shouldn't, not even the public betas. Like, I don't even know why they put those out. It's because people are so crazy and they want the features. But not even the public betas. Just wait, I think, until the good solid version is actually out officially. That's the answer. All right. Let's talk a little bit about caseless iPhones. There was an article that came out a while back and I saved it. Uh, I think I've got some quotes from it and it kind of caught my attention. The reason was it was saying that going without a case has become a status symbol for iPhone users. This is crazy. All right, let me read a little bit from the article here. It says fanatics of case-free phones say it's really about design, but could it really be about status. This is from Vox. Now there's an interesting side discussion in the article talking about, well, why don't manufacturers, i.e. Apple, just make phones that aren't going to need cases? They're so rugged in the first place. And there's all these reasons. The article speculates that, hey, a dropped and broken phone is just like more money in the manufacturer's pocket. But honestly, as a consumer, do you want a big, thick, uh, ugly phone? You know what I mean? Do you want that? Probably not. But the article does make an interesting point, how people's phones really tend to be an extension of themselves in some ways, not for everybody. But you know, I think it, that we in the tech community here on YouTube can really relate to that. How many flame wars have we seen between iOS fans and Android fans or PC and Mac, you know what I mean? That doesn't really matter. If you like what you like, like it and who cares and let other people like their stuff too. But if you feel that way, like your phone really represents something about you and who you are and maybe even to the point of like being a part of your style or your fashion, like then yeah, I can see how a lot of people would really feel like their phone is making a statement about them. So the article goes on and says, We've arrived at this place where being reckless with your phone and rejecting a case is the ultimate indication of means. I don't know about the ultimate. I wouldn't say that, but you know what? It kind of makes sense. It could be, because it's like, if you don't have a case, when I don't have a case, it's like I drop it immediately. I've had to take it in a couple of times. 
uh, to get it fixed. And it's not cool. And you don't want to pay that. It's like it just slipped out of your pocket when you sat down or something, hit the concrete. It's terrible. Because even with Apple Care, I think it's $29 to fix a cracked screen. And it's $129 to $329 if you don't have Apple Care. And that's just if it's the screen. It can go up $149 to like $600 bucks extra if there's other things that need to get repaired on top of uh, just that cracked screen. So yeah, if you're not using a case, I see how it's like, yeah, I don't care. I can afford another phone and these charges don't bother me. Now, let me say this, as somebody who does basically almost all the time use a case, whether it's for video stuff, because I use my iPhone XR, my other phone, kind of my backup phone for video stuff, it's basically one of my video cameras. And I got some moment lenses and some gear for that. Well, that needs a case. And my regular case, I've got the iPhone or the Apple, um, the official Apple battery case on there. I just talked about this a couple seconds back if you're watching a clip. Um, so go check that out. But if you've been using a case and you take it off for whatever reason and you see your iPhone in its full glory, it just makes you almost pause and like appreciate this amazing device that you've been carrying around with you all this time. It's like a whole new device. You didn't even realize how amazing it was because it's been so long since you took it out of the box and you're just so used to it with all this extra bulk and sometimes ugliness. So even just for that reason, I mean, I can totally understand why you wouldn't want a case on your iPhone. I'm tempted to go without a case all the time, except I've cracked it enough times that I know better. And yes, that does matter to me. I'm not so rich that I can just replace it like this for every time that I drop it. So I use that battery case and I'm glad that I do. I was in the mountains and I was hiking recently and we were gonna take like a group photo. And so I didn't bring a tripod. I should, I've got a million all over the place. Um, like small, big tripods, I got them, didn't bring it. That's frustrating. But we're up in the mountains, we wanna take a picture of the group. And so I'm trying to balance this log on this rock and make my own tripod, it's really jankety. And of course, I couldn't really get it to stay. It was just the shape of the log and the shape of this, you know, the shape of the case is weird, the battery case with that hump in the back. And I'm trying to balance it and it fell, of course, like a few times. I'm glad that the screen didn't get scratched, but that rubber case, it got some chunks taken out of it in the corner. And if I hadn't had that case on, it would have been totally ruined. If you ask me, would I rather go caseless? The answer is absolutely. I would absolutely a million percent remove the case and be so happy until it cracked. So you guys leave me a comment. Let me know down below. Do you go caseless? Do you not? Why? What case do you use? Fill me in on all of the case basics in your life. Uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about my favorite CarPlay apps because I love CarPlay. I'm excited about it. It was a huge factor in the car that I just decided to get like last year. Because believe it or not, last year, and I don't know if it's still like this right now, there was several manufacturers that still don't have Android Auto or CarPlay as part of their offering, which I found ridiculous. So absolutely, I needed CarPlay to the point where it was almost more important than all the other stuff. Because a car is a car, it's gonna be pretty decent, at least for a few years. Uh, but I, I had to have CarPlay, absolutely, a must. CarPlay, which is actually an extension of iOS, is so much cooler than it used to be in iOS 13 than it was in iOS 12. We got things like the dashboard view, which lets you see the map as well as now playing and gives you uh, what direction you're actually on, your next turn and stuff all on one screen. That's amazing. 
And there's other little benefits, like Siri doesn't take up the entire screen when you activated it. Because before, it would just black out your screen and put the Siri thing down at the bottom. And it was really annoying. You couldn't like see the map or anything anymore. Oh, and on top of that, something else I'm really excited about is you can see the cover of whatever you're listening to in the music app. That's actually something that wasn't there before. So there's all these awesome little tweaks that make it so much better. So let's talk about some of my favorite apps that I actually use with CarPlay. Probably my absolute most used app in CarPlay is something that you're gonna find boring, but it's just Apple Maps. Um, why do I use that? Well, for starters, I just mentioned how big of a factor CarPlay was. Well, it was a bigger factor when I was shopping for cars than you thought. So the manufacturer that I was looking at, um, they had a technology package of their own that would have offered their own navigation package. And I decided not to go with that and to just rely on my iPhone and the Maps program on there. Because you can load up different things. You can load up Waze as an alternative, for instance, from Google. But I knew that I was always gonna have my phone with me anyways. And this is different because the car before, I did have that um, DVD-based navigation package and it didn't update ever over the seven years that I had the car or whatever. And so I thought, this is better. Uh, unless I lose connection to the internet or something, this is gonna be great. And honestly, it has been. Apple Maps is getting so much better. Um, they have like an awesome street view coming. It's gonna be a slow rollout, but it's very cool. I think it looks smoother and slicker than Google Street View. It's called Look Around, actually, not Street View. Um, and they just, they have a bunch of new features. That's not really what we're talking about right now, but I love it in CarPlay. I love the auto dark mode, and I love how when you park uh, in a dark place, it's dark, or when it's night, it's dark, but when you're out in the daytime, it can be light, and you can change that setting. It's really awesome. Why do I use it instead of Waze or instead of Google Maps? Um, I try to stick within the Apple ecosystem as much as possible. I'm slowly migrating that way. So I use Gmail for like my personal um, mail app and I'm gonna try to move over to iCloud. That's gonna be a segment that we're gonna talk about at some point in the future. Um, so yeah, it's really just a matter of trying to stay within the Apple ecosystem because you know if you're using Android, your location is getting shared a lot. My top fun app, absolutely, is Apple Music. There's no question about this. Uh, I love listening to music when I'm in the car, and I love just telling Siri, hey, play some new music, or play this specific playlist, or play this specific song. It loads it up, it's no problem. Um, and especially with that new dashboard and now playing and being able to see the album art, um, yeah, I love it. When I'm rocking Andy Minio in the car, uh, it's great. But I think I actually spend more time in the car listening to podcasts than I do music because, and I use Overcast for that. The reason I use Overcast, I don't love the design on iOS. In fact, I kind of hate it, but the features are solid and it just works. And I can't say that about some of my other uh, podcast apps that I've tried that I like some of the features, but just didn't work or didn't work everywhere. So Overcast, um, it's a solid app. And that if you're listening to podcasts, you need to really have a solid app. So I'm using Overcast and it works awesome in CarPlay and that really matters. But what I love to do is go out for like a coffee run. You guys know I love nitro coffee. So head out to Starbucks, that's the closest nitro. And maybe if it's like a 15 or 20 minute ride 
whatever it is, I put it on for certain podcasts, like two times speed. And if there's a 30 minute podcast, I can listen to the whole thing on the coffee run. And then you throw in the caffeine and everybody talking so fast. And yeah, it's really crazy. But it's really just a matter of productivity for me. Like otherwise that's wasted time. If I'm, I'm going out to like pick up some packages uh, at the PO box that some companies have sent me for reviewing or whatever, um, instead of having downtime, I can use that time to learn. And so podcasts and overcast, I'm in there all the time. The other app that I'm in a lot is Audible, and that's for listening to audiobooks, obviously. And we're gonna talk a lot more about this in just a second when we talk about is Audible worth it or not. Uh, but the thing is, it depends on the book too. But if I just need a break, maybe I've been thinking, working too hard or something, and to be able to throw on a book and just take my mind somewhere else for a little bit um, on that same, uh, P.O. Box run or coffee run or errand run or whatever, um, drive to the airport, then that's really nice. And so those are probably my top used uh, CarPlay apps. All right, so let's move things along and we're gonna talk about what I just mentioned. Is Audible worth it? And this is very interesting. I signed up for Audible sometime in the last year and I've really been loving it, getting a lot out of it. So let's do a little bit of a deep dive here. First of all, what is Audible? If you've been living on a rock and you really don't know, you might suspect that it's kind of like Netflix for audiobooks, but that's not really what it is. Uh, you don't pay a monthly fee and have access to every audiobook that there is, that exists, or even a lot of audiobooks. Instead, that would be awesome, by the way. Instead, what it is, is you pay you know, 14 or 15 bucks and you get one credit for one audiobook per month, or you can double that about and get two credits. And that's where it kind of tops off unless you want to manually add extra credits. So if you're just watching a clip of this, let me catch you up. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And so between podcasts and audiobooks, I learn so much. Honestly, this is like my main two methods of absorbing and learning new things. So I find that very useful. But here's the other thing. A lot of the Audible productions and just audiobooks in general, they're like, movies for your ears. If you like movies, and who doesn't, then who wouldn't want a movie for your ears? Because oftentimes, let's take Star Wars books. That's one of my guilty pleasures. I love to, and this is recent too, because I just joined Audible and found these. Um, but you can listen to a book and there will be several characters with different voices and you'll have some music and you'll have some sound effects. Um, and it's really cool. It's like a full on production. And sometimes there's like a celebrity reading something and Audible has their own like extra books. You get two free of those every month and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not. Usually I'm not interested, but sometimes there's like two that I'll grab that are kind of cool. Now Audible is expensive. It does cost a lot. I already mentioned this, 15 to $23, I guess, uh, for one or two credits. But if you think about it, I just checked uh, audiobooks, trending audiobooks, featured audiobooks in Apple's books app. And those are 15 to $20 each. So actually you can save a little bit of money if you get really into this uh, using Audible. And of course you do get the little extras and stuff too. Here is one thing that I really love about Audible. Books aside, content aside, extras aside. And that is the customer service. Their customer service is so good. In fact. Audible is owned by Amazon, but I feel like the customer service at Audible is just like 
so much better than even what you'll find with Amazon. Amazon's really hit or miss for me these days. Um, but Audible, wow, they're really, really helpful. So for instance, uh, if you don't like a book on Audible, you can return it. And I've done that a few times because I, I got something, I thought it was gonna be interesting and I just couldn't get into it. Maybe I didn't like the narrator or maybe the topic, just it wasn't resonating with me. Um, I was gonna read Titan, the book about Rockefeller, I think. You know, I was like, hey, business, um, this could be interesting. It's something totally different than tech stuff, which my brain's always, you know, concentrating on throughout the day. And I'll try that out. And man, I just, I didn't like it. I was going to uh, listen to it on a trip. And it was like a bad pick for me. I just didn't like it. So I returned it. And I've done that a couple of times. And then you get your credit back. And then you can actually get something that you're hopefully more happy with. So here's what happened recently. I ended up getting a book uh, on some sort of a deal. And it was like, I could get the book I was gonna get anyways, but I could also pick from this selection of books over here and get both of those for the price of one credit or whatever. So it was gonna be a good deal. And I was looking through and I, there was none of the other books were ones that I would normally get anyways, but I did find something that was kind of interesting. So I got them both as part of the package deal, but I didn't end up liking the original book that I was after. So I went back and returned it. No customer service needed. You just go back and return it in your account. And I didn't get my credit back. And I was like, okay, maybe I've returned too many books. And there's some automated thing that's like, this dude, flag him. He's just returning stuff after listening to it or whatever. But that wasn't the case. What the case was, was it was part of that package deal. And I just needed to return the other book too in order to get my credit back. But I didn't know that. So I contacted the support and they did it like this. Um, found out what the problem was, returned it for me, got my credit back, and made a book recommendation for me. So is Audible worth it? That's the whole crux of this video. Let me just tell you this. I get more out of Audible every single month than I do out of Netflix. And that's no joke. And if this is sounding good for you, I'll link it up in the description so you can check it out for yourself. I'm 100% serious, and here's why. As life goes on and as I get busier and busier, I have less and less time to sit down in front of a TV and just watch Netflix or anything like Netflix. Um, so what I do have time for is some audio stuff, whether it's podcasts or audiobooks. It kind of fits into the cracks as the day goes along. Like sometimes when I'm getting ready in the morning and I'm doing my hair and brushing my teeth and shaving and all that stuff, it's easy to listen to something right? Or when I'm in the car, like we just talked about in the last segment. There's all these times when you can fit in some audio that you can't fit in some streaming uh, video. And so it actually works out really well. So is Audible worth it? I think the answer is yes. Yes, it's expensive. If you're not used to it, it might take a little bit of time to warm up to and get into. It's all about picking the right content and right books that are going to resonate with you. But like I said, good customer service, return the books that you don't like. You can check it out, there's a free trial and I'll link it up down below so you can check it out. But I recommend at least trying it out. All right, let's move on and let's talk a little bit about everyday carries, um, also known as the EDC for short. This is like a whole thing, like it's a subculture. People are so into everyday carry. Uh, you see these flat lays all over Instagram, um, people on YouTube. Uh, that's like their thumbnail. And I don't blame people because it's interesting visually to see those flat lays, but also it's interesting. Like what are people bringing with them every day that they rely on 
to help them get through their day as best as they can. Now, I will say, I can get a little bit sick of it because you see it too much and it's just like overload. But at the same time, I see why it's so popular because it's useful. Like when somebody puts out a flat lay or somebody talks about their everyday carry, you could very easily pick up uh, some tips or find something that you wanna incorporate into your own everyday carry. So let's talk about mine. So let's start with tech and the tech that goes with me everywhere. Uh, first of all is my iPhone. Right now it's the iPhone XS Max. Um, I got the biggest one because I wanted that big screen and I always regret whatever I get. I always want what I don't have. And grass is always greener. I have a 10R too, but like I've mentioned, it's just one of my video cameras really. And so I don't take it with me everywhere. I kind of wish that I had gotten a smaller one because it would fit in my pocket better. And it's not that much worse of an experience with the screen because I have an iPad, right? Got a Mac. If I want a big screen, I can use a big screen. So, but anyways, I got the iPhone XS Max right now. And next, I'm probably gonna alternate and get something a little bit smaller. We'll see. I also have my Apple Watch. Uh, I got the Series 4 right now, and I love it. I could not go without it. Um, this, of all the Apple stuff, is one of the things I'm really addicted to. Why? Uh, there's a lot of reasons. One of the biggest is for reminders. My brain lives on reminders, Apple reminders, and just to be able to punch into Siri real quick and say, remind me in two days or two years or two minutes to do whatever, it's like the simplest, easiest way to stay on track. Plus you add in the fitness stuff and let's not get into a whole review, but love the Apple Watch. The other thing is on the tech side, AirPods. Those go with me just about everywhere. If I'm going out, if I'm going to the coffee shop, if I'm going for a walk maybe, um, whether I'm at, at the office, whatever I'm doing. In fact, when I'm in the studio and I'm setting things up to start recording, uh, I got the AirPods in, as you know from a recent video, because I left them in on accident when I started doing the intro. Um, I had to take them out. But yeah, I'll use it to amp up. So yeah, AirPods, iPhone, Apple Watch, essentials for tech for me. All right, so what about my keys, my key setup? Um, I do have what I thought was a very cool, fancy, gadgety style key ring. Um, it's actually a KeySmart is the company or the brand or the product, and it's got tile tracking built right in. So you remember the tile trackers, you can put them like wherever in your wallet, on your keychain, whatever, and hopefully not lose those items. Well, this keychain from KeySmart had tile tracking built in. I was like, yes. That's perfect for a tech person like me. Well, eh, I will say this, it's nice and compact. It's one of those long ones where all the keys fold in and it's very uh, clutter free and it feels great in your pocket. But here's the thing, <laughs> it's rechargeable and I never charge it. I've never charged it once in all the times that I've had it. And I got it for a specific purpose, aside just like being techy. I once was on a car trip and I thought I had lost my keys at a rest stop. And I went like half the trip uh, back home and thought my keys were lost somewhere on the interstate. And they weren't, I found them, they were under the seat. Uh, so that was thinking. But after that, I got this keychain thinking, this is it, I'm never gonna lose those keys again. Well, yeah, but you have to maintain it. You gotta keep charging it and I never do that. So, whoops, and also, some of the keys are really hard to get to. Uh, there's like a built-in tool that folds out. It's got like a screwdriver 
or a bottle opener or something on it. I never use that, but that folds out. But the way it folds out, it like gets in the way of some of the keys. So if I'm checking a mailbox or something, it takes forever to get the right key out and to actually fumble around with it. And, and then the other thing is getting in the way of the tool. It really hasn't been a very good keychain. So if you have a good keychain for your everyday carry, I'm definitely open to suggestions. Please hit me up. Um, wallet, I actually just have something very simple. I don't have it on me right now, it's over there. It's just really thin. I'll try to link it in the description once I actually have it. Nothing special about it, no tile tracking. I don't have to recharge my wallet, although I've seen those, uh, but I don't have that. Uh, for the sunglasses side of things, let's talk about that. Sunglasses, those go with me. I had some nice sunglasses that I got from Huckberry. Uh, you guys probably remember the days if you've been around for a while where we had some sponsorship stuff going on with Huckberry. They sent me some sunglasses, really liked them, used them for a couple of years, and I'm still using them, actually. I shouldn't be once you hear this, but I was at a go-kart place a while back, and I had to use a bathroom because I've been drinking a lot. So I went to the bathroom, got in, opened the door, smelled so awful, beyond wretched. Worst smell you could ever encounter. Uh, so I turned right around, didn't have to go that bad, and I wanted to get out of there so fast, I was running out, that my sunglasses popped off of my shirt where I had them tucked in and landed on the floor, cracked. And so somebody stank up the bathroom and I blamed them for cracking my sunglasses. Uh, so I need some new of those. Now, sunglasses and YouTubers kind of go hand in hand. You see a lot of YouTubers wearing sunglasses you never wanna copy anybody's style, right, number one. And so I've seen like Casey Neistat, he's got the Ray-Bans or had, um, he did like his white stuff on it or whatever. I wouldn't wanna do that. I respect him for coming up with his own style, but he did have some that were like folding Ray-Bans and that's kinda cool. That's like not your normal thing and I like that, but also I don't wanna copy. And you see somebody in a tech space like Super Saf and he's got his sunglasses, don't know what kind they are, but he kind of rocks that look and I know he's handed a few of those out so you don't want to copy there. And so I've kind of been thinking like, well, what sunglasses do I want that are unique, that are nice? Um, I like nice sunglasses, I like to spend a little bit on it instead of just getting you know, some cheap ones. I have had some cheap ones. I had some knockarounds for a while. In fact, I've got a moose uh, right above my desk who I put some old knockarounds on, he's wearing those. Uh, but if you have some sunglass recommendations, let me know too. The other thing that's part of my everyday carry except it's not really every day, but when I go somewhere, I've tried to quit taking a backpack with me everywhere I go. Sling bags are kind of coming back. Uh, I won't call it a fanny pack, and no, it is not a purse. Um, but I've got the Peak 5 liter sling bag, and I can actually fit four cameras in there. I can fit my GH5, my main shooter. I can fit the Insta360 1X for 360 stuff, um, and the Osmo Pocket and the Osmo Action plus my iPhone actually, so five. Um, so yeah, that's something that I take, fits some batteries, um, it's less conspicuous, uh, so people aren't like, oh, he's about to shoot video, look at the tripod and everything. Uh, sometimes I don't like showing up and everyone knows like what I'm up to. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my carry setup right now. You know, the next thing that I wanna talk about is all the hype about quitting social media. You see a lot of people talking about that lately, and I wanna chime in, cause I've had some, a little bit of experience kind of with this and I have some thoughts. FOMO is like a real thing. If you're missing out or comparing yourself to other people, someone's always got something better or cooler 
um, than you and you have no context as to what's happening in their life and whether they're actually happy or this is just a little blip and all this stuff. And so to be exposed to that, it can kind of lead to depression like or various degrees of like just not feeling as good about yourself. Nobody's immune to that and nobody's immune to that. You see people like Casey Neistat uh, or Maddie H. Hapoya, I think, Peter McKinnon's buddy, um, talking about taking a break from social media, quitting social media. Um, a lot of people are talking about it because whoever you are and however cool your life is, like somebody else has a bigger yacht or something, right? And it's just not a good feeling to be surrounded by all this stuff that you don't have, whatever it is, whether it's stuff or feelings or experiences, whatever. But here's the thing, for a social media person like me and for any number of different people, whether it's for business purposes or other purposes, networking, whatever, social media can be very integral. And so, you know, for me, like promoting content that I create and put out, you gotta use social media, really, in many ways to do that. And YouTube, it is social media here on YouTube. And on top of that, I really love interacting with people, with you guys uh, on social media. Of course, I, there's plenty of like negativity too that can get directed at somebody like me who's put themselves out in front of a camera or microphone or whatever. And you have to take the good with the bad if you're gonna be on social media. So what do you do if you're me or somebody like me? And here's what I did recently. And it actually was sort of by accident. I didn't like intend for this to happen because I knew like when I was seeing everyone else quit, I was like, well, I'm not really ready to just quit. I built up these followings and it's useful and there is good stuff there too. So when I was just rearranging my home screen on my iPhone and I <laughs> rearrange it a lot, way more than I should, um, I stashed Twitter and Instagram in a folder, like several screens back, several screens deep. And so what happened was, instead of opening my phone, seeing them on the home page, and just like checking them without even thinking about it, because they were right in front of my eyes, uh, I would actually now have to think about, oh yeah, I need to post something. Or somebody probably sent me a DM for a sponsorship, and I need to recheck in on that conversation. I actually had to think about it and then search for it or swipe way over and actually locate those to get in there. But having a bit of a buffer from just moving them out of sight, kind of out of sight, out of mind, has been huge for me. And I have, I think, been less preoccupied with what's going on with other people. And that's been a good thing. So to put it more succinctly, I think what I did instead of quitting social media is I quit spontaneously checking it. And that's what has made a big difference. So you don't have to go cold turkey, still useful, still can get the benefit out of it and check in when there's mentions and you need to respond and you see the nice things that are being said. Um, but it's the utility without so much of the negativity. So I would say that I have been happier with Twitter and Instagram in a folder, <laughs> buried more a little bit. What I really wish somebody would make is something like Twitter that was just useful stuff. If there was a tip or like a useful video or article um, or whatever that you wanted to share, you could share that. And it was just like a notification feed of really awesome, interest-driven, useful stuff, that would be so cool. I'm, honestly, I care less about like people's personal notifications 
uh, in the grand scheme of things, it can be interesting. But at the end of the day, do you really need to know every little thing that's going on with somebody? Not really. You can definitely get by without it. So, so there you go. Maybe that's a good strategy for you for getting something out of social media, but without it having to take away some of your joy. <laughs> okay, we're gonna switch things up a little bit here. This is a lot different, actually. We're gonna talk about bathroom tech that I can't live without. Why are we gonna talk about that? It's not weird. I'm not gonna talk about like bidets or anything, right? Uh, but everywhere in, in my house, everywhere I go, I've teched it out, right? The kitchen has tech, uh, the living room has tech, the office has tech, the bedroom has tech. Why wouldn't the bathroom have some tech? It does have some tech, and that's what we're gonna talk about. One of the things, this is maybe the most significant piece of tech in the bathroom, and this could easily go somewhere else, but is a smart scale. We've got a smart scale in there. It's from Withings. It's several years old, a few years old, but it's really crucial to, it's part of my morning routine. Like I know I wanna weigh in the mornings and see like, is the exercise paying off? Or, whoa, did you go overboard and eat too many sweets or too many Beyond Burgers or whatever it might've been? Um, and it's just sort of like helps you check in and keep your motivation levels up for whatever goals you're trying to accomplish. And actually beyond that, it actually shows you some other stuff too. So ours shows like uh, the air quality outside. Um, it shows you your trends and your weight hopefully is down, <laughs> right? Um, what else does it show? Oh, it shows you your heart rate at the time, um, your BMI. So a lot of useful information. And of course, it all transfers over to an app, which then transfers into the Apple Health app. Um, so that is awesome. Um, definitely something that I wouldn't wanna ever be without. Get a lot out of it. Something else that is a little bit more mundane, but makes a huge benefit, a huge difference to my life is an electric toothbrush. Not just any electric toothbrush. Uh, a few years back, a couple years back, I went out and I found the best electric toothbrush that I could possibly find. Uh, and which one is it? It's a Philips Sonicare. It's the black one that you see. And wow. Uh, it's like every time I brush, it's like going to the dentist that clean. And I couldn't believe it the first time that I used it. And now I'm like more used to it, but this is something I definitely couldn't live without. I could not go back to using a regular toothbrush, would not want to. This is super convenient, it's rechargeable. There's nothing smart about it. I didn't get one of the smart ones. Um, it has like a timer where it like buzzes when you've gone long enough, I never use it. Um, but yeah. It's been good, and Dennis seems happy with it. Every time I go in, no issues. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend it. I'll link up the exact one that I've got, maybe if there's an updated version by now, in the description. Something that pairs up so well with that is my water pick. Now, this may sound like boring. Oh, are we really talking about this? Yes, we are, because one of my most loved things ever is the water pick, a water flosser. And this thing is so nice. I hate flossing, like with actual floss. But the water pick is so nice. It's convenient, it's simple, it's a little bit loud. That's the only thing about it. But wow, you combine the electric toothbrush that I'm talking about, not just anyone, not like a Quip one that's a little bit underpowered. You've probably seen those at Target or wherever. Powerful toothbrush with the water flosser. Oh man. It's like the dentist every day, dentist clean. You know that feeling after the dentist has cleaned your teeth and it's all sh nice? Uh, yes, it's like that every morning for me. And it's because of these two devices. 
you need to get them. Now something that's actually a little bit techier uh, than those is a speaker. Of course I have a Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom because you know I like to listen to podcasts or audiobooks, multitask, be more productive every little place that I can. Uh, and so I've got a B&O, I think, Bayo Play. I don't know exactly which one. It's a little uh, circle. Again, I'll link it up. And I've got on top of a cabinet in there. Um, plenty of sound. Can definitely hear it over the shower uh, or <laughs> while the water pick's going or the toothbrush. So yeah, that's some of the tech that lives in the bathroom and that I use every day, really. Um, so I would love to actually know bidets aside. Don't be commenting about your bidet. What kind of stuff do you use in the bathroom? What am I overlooking? All right, we got a couple of questions to get into here. And somebody asked me what my favorite type of iPad was. And I think what we're really talking about here is a few things. Performance, uh, looks, size, and price. So let me go through those and tell you what my favorite iPad is for each of those categories. So performance and looks, those go hand in hand. And there's a reason for that. It's called the iPad Pro. When it comes to the look of an iPad, nothing looks better than the current iPad Pros. Uh, they're got that straight edge uh, with the nice bezels and more screen, smaller bezels, I should say, bigger screen. You can't beat that. So for looks, absolutely any of the iPad Pro models. For performance, also, clearly, obviously, the iPad Pro because nothing else uh, comes close or beats it. Although something like um, the iPad mini is plenty powerful. Even the iPad Air, plenty powerful uh, for a lot of people for just like basic stuff. But if you're doing anything uh, you know, more professional, maybe like editing or art, or you need that second gen Apple Pencil uh, or whatever, obviously the Pro, nothing comes close. Size, iPad size. Well, let's talk about that. For me, in my personal life, uh, the main iPad that I have and that I use is an 11 inch iPad Pro. So I'm gonna have to go with that because it's a little bit of everything. It's the Pro, so it's got some of that, but it's not the biggest Pro, so it does have some portability, more portability than the biggest Pro. Um, it's also not the smallest, like the iPad mini, um, and there's something to be said about the iPad mini because when I'm reading or even doing some gaming like Fortnite, I like to play Fortnite on the iPad uh, mini because it's so uh, easy to hold. <laughs> and I've actually gotten pretty good on Fortnite on the iPad mini, even without any controllers or anything. So for gaming, depending on the game, uh, maybe I would prefer the mini. But just if I had to pick one thing and just that was my iPad, it would probably be the 11 inch Pro. Now, what about for the price? I think for the price, if that's what I was most interested in, and specifically like saving money, I would go with the iPad Air. That's probably the iPad for everybody. The, the main iPad, like the default base iPad. It'd be a toss up though, between the Air and the Mini. I probably personally wouldn't want just the base iPad. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but if I can, I would like to be somewhat future-proof. So as new iPads come out, you know, maybe I want to go a little bit longer if I can without needing to or wanting to upgrade. So if price is really what I'm after, I'd be super happy with the Air. The Air is really nice. It's basically, and you may have heard this, you might have heard this before, made of, you might have heard, it's basically like the guts of the previous iPad Pro and the looks of it. So it's a powerful machine. 
and it's got a bigger screen. I think I need that bigger screen probably if it's gonna be my one iPad than just the mini so I can be more productive and get some work done. At the end of the day though, what is my favorite iPad? Which one would I choose? I would choose the one that I have, the 11 inch iPad Pro because it just ticks the most boxes. And if I couldn't afford it yet, I probably would look for some Apple deals like we talked about earlier in this episode. If you're watching a clip, go back and find that segment. Uh, I would work my way up to saving for an 11 inch iPad Pro. All right, for our final segment of the day, this is something that a lot of people ask me about too, but it's just some advice for people who wanna start a tech channel on YouTube now, now that it's pretty saturated. My very first piece of advice to you is to think about whether or not you have, and this could apply, honestly, this could apply to all YouTube channels. So I'm gonna address tech specifically, but there's a lot of stuff in here for all channels. You need to think about though, if you have a long-term mentality, because if you're here and you want to start a channel because you want a lot of people to know about you or you want to make some money, make this your full-time job, whatever, if you're here and you're thinking, I'm going to be here for six months and I'm going to be famous or even one year or two years or three years, and I'm going to be famous and rolling in the cash. That's probably not going to happen. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's almost certainly not gonna happen. And so you have to have a long-term mentality. If you're planning on putting in work, hard work in relative obscurity, potentially for five, six, seven years, up to 10 years, you know, if you have that long-term mentality, that's the first step. Then you can move on to advice number two. But if you don't, it's, this is not gonna be for you, honestly. My second piece of advice then is that you have two types of currencies that you can invest in your channel. One is obviously money, but the other equally powerful and potent currency, something that you can invest, is your time. Now, what do I mean by money? People who have money and get into the tech space do better faster. Why? Because if you come on the scene and you review a really awesome new laptop this week, and next week you review another one or two, and the week after that, you followed up with a couple of great new phones that are brand new, and then some more laptops. And it just never ends because you can afford all these new devices. Your channel is going to grow very fast and become very popular because you're talking about what's new and what's relevant and you're being useful, and that matters. Um, and people are gonna find you because they want your advice probably or whatever insight you can bring to these buying decisions. So if you have money, your tech channel is going to grow faster. But the other thing that you can invest is just your time. So, and you know, it's gonna go slower. If, if you have less money to get started and you start out reviewing like iPhone cases or some accessories or whatever, whatever it is, um, it's gonna go slower. And that's why I say, are you here for the long term? And if you are, it's a viable option to take it slow and there's something to be said about going a little bit slower. Like there's a learning period where you're learning about cameras and what looks good. I'm still learning all the time. Um, go back a few weeks and look at my lighting, right? Um, so yeah, if you can invest time and that's all you can invest, yeah, do it, but it's gonna take a while. My third piece of advice though, and this is probably the most important thing, is you have to be at this point in the game different. If you're not different, if you're not creative enough to find a way to be different, 
then it's all pointless, completely pointless. Because you can't beat saturation, and it is saturated right now, by adding to it. So what I think you should do is make a list of what's being done. Go through all the favorite tech channels of yours and say, what are people doing? And what have they been doing? And then say, what aren't they doing? And that is gonna be key for you. Focus on what's not being done and then become the best at it. And maybe that is your in. And maybe if you try to compete with other people who are doing stuff that they've been doing for a long time and are really good at, you're never gonna outdo them and people aren't gonna look to you for that kind of content. You gotta find some sort of new thing, whether it's just a new device that came out and that's all you cover, or maybe all you do is live stuff, I don't know. You need to be creative, but find something different and that's how you'll find success. Because ultimately what you're doing is you're building an audience and so you're not building subs. If you think about just getting subscribers, then you're thinking about it the wrong way. You're building an audience, you're building a brand and hopefully whatever you build that brand around, um, those people will like you and what you're covering and talking about enough to follow you somewhere else. So maybe you can expand into a different platform um, at some point. But what you have to do is be different, be useful, be there, just keep showing up. And you can make a difference. It, it's, it is gonna be a lot of work. People who don't know what it's like to do YouTube stuff just don't know. And they think it's super easy but it's not, it's a lot of work. One of the hardest jobs, in fact, for me, this is the hardest job I've ever had. And I've had a lot of jobs uh, by now. And finally, I guess my best advice then is just to pay attention to somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk. He has a lot of good advice for starting anything up. And so you should definitely know your strengths and your weaknesses and play to those strengths and stay away from the things that you're not good at. Like not everybody is good at comedy, right? But some people are. And if you're good at it, embrace it and put it in your videos. And if you're not, don't try to be funny because you're not gonna be. If you're serious, embrace it. And it goes for whatever it is. Whatever your personality stuff is, whatever your strengths are, embrace. Wow, so we have been talking for a long time. Uh, this has been a fun episode, this first episode. I'm very excited to see what your feedback is. Of course, we wanna improve, make things better but hopefully overall this has been just a fun, enjoyable experience where we can uh, spend some more time talking about tech and Apple and just all the kind of stuff that we geek out about and that's exciting. So let me know. Let me know on Twitter, at Daily Tech, spelled Daily T-E-K-K. -K. Let me know in the comments uh, what you think and what you wanna see in upcoming episodes. Again, all the links to subscribe are down in the description and I'll catch you in the next video or podcast or clip, whatever it is, uh, later.